I'm Jim Minns, and you're listening to Minimal. My guest this week is Jack Ayub. Jack, thank you so much for being here. It's a pleasure. Well, it's great. I mean, we've discussed having this episode done for quite a long time now. We have. It's been fermenting like a good wine or something. Yeah, it has. It's good to finally have you here. Yes. So, Jack Ayub, what's your middle name? I don't have one. Hey, interesting. Yeah. Just like my wife. My wife doesn't have a middle name either. Yeah, we're good people. Yeah, very interesting. (laughs) Jack Ayub. Jack Ayub, that's it. The first of his kind. Yes, I believe so. My grandfather was John and everyone called him Jack. Jack, yeah. And that's how I became Jack. My son's name is Jack. But it's a great name. Yeah. yeah and purely Jack, not John. His name is Jack. It's a way to go. Yeah. My, my dad's name is John and everyone called him Jack. His right. father was Jack. It's the same iteration, really, as my Yeah, family. yeah, yeah. Exactly yeah, right. Yeah. So what year were you born and where were you born? I was born in the great year 1995, which most people hearing my voice won't believe. No. Um, and I was born in Coonabarabran in, in central New South Wales. And there are many versions of my birth happening on a doctor's office table and all sorts of things, and I don't know which one of those is true. Okay. Um, but but that was the start of my life, and I still live in Coonabarabran. Okay. Mm, so. Where is Coonabarabran for people who live immediately in the Sydney vicinity just okay. like me? Um, it's about six and a half hours' drive from Sydney if wow. you head out west. And it's you know, most people know where Dubbo is, I would assume. Okay. Um, and it's approximately an hour and fifty minutes, sort of further west from Dubbo. Yeah, so, right. So um, southwest, broadly. So it's out in the boondocks. You it's know. quite a journey. It is. It is. How did you end up out there? How did your his family history mean that you were born in Coonabarabran? I, my mother's side, I don't know because, of course, Mum um, died when I was eleven, and Dad. Um, I have a sketchy history of how Dad's family got there because then he obviously he passed when I was um, eighteen. But as far as I can gather, my great great grandfather, being a Maronite, um, sought political asylum to Australia, and he got sent to Canamble of all places. And so what quickly happened is that they opened a shop in Canamble, and um, then a number of Ayubs started springing up. So if you go to the Catholic part of the cemetery in Canamble, there's quite a few Ayubs there. Mm. And there was a large population of Lebanese people in Canamble. Mm-hmm. My father then um, obviously didn't finish school and, and sort of had an, a very complex life um, on the wrong side of the law, still fixing in, in Sydney, eventually got his trade as a, as a roof plumber. And, uh, you know, he was, he was one for the scheme, let's say, uh, and after that time, he, he ended up in Coonabarabran. And I, I don't really know how, because I never got the chance to ask him. Right. Hmm. Um, when, can I just, just as a side note, yes. growing up in Sydney, I always thought it was Coonabarabran. Yeah, well, Coonabar- but it's not. Coonabarabran, you can say it however you like. Oh, the locals say Coonabarabran. Yes, Brun. There's yes. no A at the, in between the Coonabarabran, the yeah, no. That, and that's an that's, insult to locals? Well, it's not an insult, but it just it marks you out as, far, oh, yes. as, as, as no, foreign. Not yeah. one of us. Yeah, yeah. Now, um, quite an interesting um, journey that we've touched upon so far. Mm. Um, uh, you're, you're, a young, you're a young gentleman. Excuse the phone, I'll just re-ask that question. You're a young gentleman. Mm, gentleman's debatable. Yeah. Well, I, I use the word gentleman <laughs> because can you tell us a little bit about how it is that you came to have such rich diction? Yes, yes. Well, I can. So you know, yeah. Like, like. Mm. So, so. Well, first of all, if, how did you did your mother pass? 
So look, well, at the start of the story, Mum, when I was five, my parents uh, separated. And I don't remember a lot of that. Are you an only child? I have half-brothers. Um, I have... Technically, yeah, I have four, but one of them I don't count for reasons I shan't disclose. I, I don't have a fond view. But um, so so my parents separated when I was five, Max and Sandy. Uh, Mum was a nurse and Dad by that time was a roof plumber. And around the time that they separated, Mum became diagnosed with breast cancer. <clears throat> and uh, obviously had, had the breasts removed, removed and all that kind of stuff. And then there was a space of another sort of four years or so when it was all fine but they had missed some cells mm. and that had then appeared in her bones and obviously that's a very different battle mm. um, and, and she deteriorated quite rapidly. My mother and father were always quite amicable in their mm -hmm. separation. Mm -hmm. um, I wouldn't say that my half-brothers necessarily were towards my father because they're half-brothers through my, through my mother. Mm -hmm. And equally, some of mum's family were quite hostile. And so I distinctly remember uh, holding mum's hand as she died, and she died on her birthday. Oh. And the nurse came in and, and said, you know, look, Jack, she's, she's passed. And it's kind of an odd thing for a kid to say, but I distinctly remember saying that it was a, a wonderful gift for God to give for her to be rid of that pain and suffering on her birthday. Yeah. I've, I then went um, after mum died and, and lived with dad, and not long after mum and dad had separated, dad had fallen off a roof and, and was very badly injured. Through his work. Through his work, in intensive care, oh um, and, and, no, and never worked again. And he uh, had a great affinity with the TAB, not in the sense that he that he won a lot, but in the sense that he attended, he turned up. Right. Uh, it was often said, if you want to find Max Abe, go to his office, which everyone knew what that meant. <laughs> um, but so I, I then I then went to live with with Dad, and because of the the way that various interactions had happened by adults um, out of my control as an eleven year old boy, for example, my father being refused entry to the church at my mother's funeral that relationship was quite poisoned mm. uh, unnecessarily. And that left me a pretty sad sort of kid. Mm. Um, and, and so to come to your point about my addiction, I, in, in the depths of despair at sort of the age of 15 or 16, already a complex time for a young person, mm -hmm. I was dealing with other stuff. Um, we were intensely poor. Uh, you know, my, my friend used to have his mother make an extra sandwich, so I always had lunch, this kind of thing. Yep. Neighbours gave me a recording of the three tenors in Rome in 1990, and it's Jose Carreras Placido Domingo and Luciano Pavarotti. And I put it on and I played it. And Jose Carreras comes out, having just got over his battle with leukaemia in 1990, and sings La Salita Storia del Pastore. And I describe that moment, watching that man sing that song or that aria as the first time I felt. I just sort of ascended in the room. And when you have such an emotional reaction to music in that way, it galvanises you to it and you become addicted to this alluring sensation and you chase it. And uh, and so I started imitating and, and I used to spend hours and hours and hours in my room at home 
mocking these men um, in, in, a, in an affectionate way and trying to sing as they did and kind of figured out I could half do it. So No lessons, just pure... No lessons, I just, I just in copied your room. them. Yeah. How uh, often a day would you say you'd oh be Oh, my this? God, I couldn't tell you. Um, a lot. And uh, I wasn't. A, I was a very poor student at school. Okay. Very poor student. I very rarely went to school, um, and and I spent a lot of time at home. I spent a lot of time following Dad around on his various escapades. And so, I, w- I wasn't book smart. I wasn't intellectual in any sense. wasn't necessarily sporty. Although I did play rugby here and there because I was a big kid and I was heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I watched that DVD so much that I took on the affectations of these three men and how they sang how they moved their mouths which in singing terms is not a good thing but it uh, it gave me a good foundation so yeah so you built up this sort of rapport with this music through what well, it made you feel for the first mm, time as mm, you say mm. um how long between you falling in love with this music and i guess we can call it practicing practicing the art mm. every day mm. In my own way, in yeah. your own way, but you, but you're there. You're, you're yeah. practicing. I mean, like I, I play guitar, and it's, yeah, it's much well. a similar, similar sort yeah. of every day. I fell in love with it, mm. and every day after school, I had mm. the machine in my hands. You know, at what stage? Uh, how long are you still you and your father's situation going on for at this time? How long? How many? How much longer did this so go on? For? It, it. There were many. Funny, and there were just the two of you. I imagine there were just the two of us, um, and. To give my father the utmost credit, he had no learned understanding of what it meant to be a parent. And despite that, did an exquisite job. Um, And I'm very grateful for that. He gave me some really base groundings, you know, that you've got to be thankful for. And and so our relationship sort of in the last six months of his life started to blossom and we became mates. Prior to that, it was vicious. It was really nasty and it was this sort of... Um, I held some weird resentment that I could what didn't have the capacity to understand that it had sort of been installed in me, which wasn't warranted. And my dad, being the wiser is trying to suffer it and understand it. And I remember very clearly, I'll indulge in this moment, that I sat I, I sat the invitation for him to my graduation ceremony from high school. And it's a wonder that I graduated, but I did, um, on his bedside table. And I came home from school the next day to find him sitting in his shambolic bedroom, holding it and crying. Mm. And I went up to him and I, I said, you know, what's wrong? And he said, I never would have thought that you wanted me to come to that. Oh, wow. And deep in my heart, it's, it's all I wanted. Yeah. It's all I wanted. Um, and he came. And he uh, he sat uh, in the table foremost to the front. I obviously sang you at sang. this event. You yes. sang at the event. I sang Nessun Dorma, as all young tenors do. Not well, and it's not my favourite song. But I sang it and uh, reasonably well. And in kindness to me, there was a standing ovation. And Dad... <laughs> Dad had, God knows how, had tucked the tablecloth in under his, you know, when you put the sort of napkin in and he tucked the tablecloth in. And so there is a wall of about 400 people all standing in ovation to me. And Dad has taken this tablecloth with him and the candle wax and drinks and stuff flying everywhere. And it was chaos in the corner. And it's a very fond memory. Um, But 
he he died. He died on the twenty third of December, um, the year that I graduated, and uh, left me a, a disability pension check and a dog. And I spent that, and the government quickly took it back. Um, but 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 he passed with me only having briefly experienced a kind of equal relationship with him, mm. and that was troublesome. And what um, what 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 made him pass? I'm not entirely sure. I. I went. I was away that night, um, and I came home to find him uh, dead. And he'd been face down. He'd fallen face down, and and um, I made the fatal error when I got there of rolling him over. And that's a pretty. Someone's been lying there for quite a few hours. You know, people who've dealt with dead bodies will know that they don't look real good. Uh, and I can see that often. But I have four death certificates. I think. Um, one's unexplained, others have various explanations, and I can't tell you what the last one says. I haven't really p- paid mind to it. Yeah. But um, but yeah, he passed very suddenly. I dare say heart failure or something like that. Sure, so, sure. But that but that was you know the twenty third of December, so Christmas I hate uh, of for various reasons. Yes, and I'm trying to shake that anger and, and understand it better. Yep. Um, but I was then confronted with this this problem that I I have to now try and get to Sydney University, to the Sydney Conservatorium, where I had been accepted only weeks before. So so you are, it's a small town, Kinnabarabri. Mm, mm, about 3,000. Yep. 3,000 people. Word spreads that you're, a, I guess, you're a budding uh, musician, yeah. singer-in-waiting. Yeah. You graduate from high school. Mm. How is it? Whose idea is it that you've got to go? Is it your idea that you've got to go to Sydney Conservatory of Music? How does that idea spring? How, how did that come about? Well, there are, there are two women, and, and my life is marked by strong women, I have realised. But there were two women at, at Kinderabin High School, um, Di Southerns and Nancy Doolan, who were the sort of co-music teachers in effect. And they kind of uh, orchestrated it. I, I had never considered it. I didn't know what a conservatorium was. Right. Um, they orchestrated it. I went down and, and did an audition here in Sydney. And how long have you been singing for, do you think? Oh, until? since 16, so, I, you know, sort of a couple three, of years. Three, three years, three something years. like that, yeah. Um, and, and, and singers will understand, but when you imitate, when young opera singers imitate and they first learn, they don't have any ping or squill on the sound, and so it's quite, it's quite woofy. Uh-huh. Um, but it, you can nonetheless hear that there's potential there. Okay. And so I came down and I sang for... Um, Rowena Cowley, who would become my teacher, and I auditioned at the Sydney Conservatorium, and I got in quite wow. remarkably. Um, I wouldn't have ever gotten into university because my marks were horrendous. Right. I mean, I only just passed the HSC. Yep. And uh, yeah, so I guess I was drawn to it by others. And uh, yeah, a bit like you'd never heard of the Conservatorium of Music. No, I had no idea. Stage. No, no, and that, that and didn't see didn't see that it could have that this could have been a pathway for you. You it was just a pure no. emotional relationship that you had with music. Yes, it wasn't I, I, a no. future. Something no, no. That... I didn't have a. I didn't have a. Um, I, I don't think I had the capacity at that time in life to to see a plan or to map, map one out. Yes, uh, and so people were sort of guiding me. Uh, and my, you know, dad, to his great credit, at the time I thought it was a horrible thing to think and say, but he said, you know, I don't, I don't want you pursuing this line because, you know, I want you to be able to live, mm. go and get mm. a trade. Mm-hmm. Um, probably should have done that, right? That was good <laughs> advice. But, yeah. uh, but no, I was just kind of ushered in this direction. 
Yeah. And after Dad had died, zero resource. Got nothing. Community came together. And it's a debt I will forever be repaying. And that little community raised over $30,000 for me so I could keep my house. I could go to Sydney University. And by the grace of God, I got into St John's College where I resided while I was at Sydney University. Yeah. And it's through that that so much else has come and I have met some incredible people. Yeah. Um, St John's is really a nucleus of connection for me. Yep. Um, but, but that... It all comes back in a in a sense to that that community because it, it raised me that money, you know, and, and got me there. So. It's, a, it's such an amazing story. I remember um, we're flashing forward ahead a little bit here, but one of my first interactions with you was obviously through the Great Labor Party. <laughs> but you are actually a Labor candidate hmm. at uh, at, uh, at the uh, what two thousand. 19. 19 state election. The candidate. Federal. Federal election. Federal, yeah, sorry, yeah, Parks. Yeah. For Parks. And there's a there's a video of your concession speech, uh, which I encourage anyone to um, to watch if you look up Jack Ayub on, God, I was on Facebook. Beastly and fat. But, but yes. you, yeah, you're, you're, you're half the man you used to be. But may I say, you say, you say in your concession speech, one of the classic, classic lines, classic Jack Ayub lines, it must be said, which is. Uh, you the community came together for me, so running for parks for you is one of the greatest honors I've ever had. So words yeah, to that yeah. effect. Yeah. I thought it was just such the the best line that could ever have been said. Well, they they, they they gave me my voice, so I'm I want to be there. That's amazing. Mm. Um, such a good line. Mm. Such a good line. Probably jumping ahead a little bit there, but tell me about your time at the Conservatorium of Music. How long does a does a stretch there last for? And what were you hoping to achieve going in? And what do you think you got out of it at the end? Well, look, I was I was hoping to be the next Pavarotti or Domingo, mm-hmm. um, which in today's world, the opera world has changed so dramatically that doesn't happen. Right. Making a living's hard, and it's particularly hard in Australia. We don't have an appreciation for it. You have to go overseas. Okay. I don't have the resource to do that. I didn't at the time, and mm-hmm. I still don't. Um, I learnt an incredible amount at the Conservatorium. It, it's a complex place. It's a place that is supremely unique in, in educa- as an educational setting because it's highly emotionally charged. It's very personal. If someone criticises an essay you've written, fine, I think you can cope with that. But if you're standing under stage lights with an audience of your peers being told all of the faults with your appearance, your sound, your gestures, your presentation, the way you walk, the way your hair looks, that's difficult mm. uh, on a deep level because you're kind of, you know, when you sing, you are offering up something. And even if people offer criticism in a, in a warm way, it's, it, it hurts you in some of sense. Of course, yeah. So that's what becomes your experience of the conservatorium. And, and, and it's, you know, I have no trouble saying these things because I kind of railed against them while I was there. Mm. But it's a deeply clicky place. Um, you know, certain... Groups don't mix and so on. Whereas I was kind of there for the love and the enjoyment. I wasn't there for the pomposity. Um, I was there to sort of elucidate a greater understanding of of technical singing. Were you accepted amongst your peers on a social level? Ah, they had no choice, um, I would say. I think I was. I mean, I'm a pretty happy person and and I was a gentleman to them. And it's it's university-aged kids. Correct. 
So yeah. it's not high school. It's not high school. Um, people know, are people, there to to further yeah. themselves. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's a lot of there's a lot of if I can use the phrase, <laughs> there's a lot of dick swinging. You know, I can sing that top note better than you. you right. Know, this is how you should do it. So on and so on. And you learn very quickly that in a rehearsal setting, for example, if you're doing a zitzprobe, you know, where where singers um, sit behind the orchestra and, and you run through an opera, that in the breaks, you don't go and tell your other colleagues how to sing. You just worry about your own tack, right? Whereas mm-hmm. that's a learned skill for some. It was kind of intuitive for me. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I guess what can happen at, at a conservatorium level, and this I imagine is, a, is, is across all of them, that in the analysing of the technique of singing, in the deconstruction of it, and the deep delve into the text and the musical meaning of stuff, you kind of wreck it, you know. You sort of create a map of the real thing, and it can never be as beautiful. Now, that's an important part of the process, I acknowledge, mm. but that's difficult to balance. And you've got to remember that, and I'm sorry I'm rambling here, but... You know, it's good. When you're learning to sing, or you're learning the piano or other instruments, you're in a room, in my case for an hour every week, with a singing teacher, who's normally someone who's sung to some level, going over you for an hour, taking you to task. That's tough. That's really tough. Um, and it, it teaches you something, you know. There's a, there's a class called, I think it's Performance Workshop, I can't remember, where you stand up and your colleagues critique you, your, your co-evils. That's tough, because if they don't like you, there are people who don't, they'll go you, they'll use the opportunity. Mm. It really steals you. Mm. And so people are surprised when I say to them that I, it's not that I don't get nervous, but when I get up to give presentation or to speak or now to sing, I have very good mechanisms to keep myself extremely calm extremely calm Amazing. so that's the main thing i learned from that institution i think but what a skill to have oh it's, it's, i mean that's that'll that'll give you the fortitude through mm. for the rest of your life yes and i and I, I learned also there and from my father to some extent who could talk to anyone the capacity to communicate mm. and that has been an absolute excalibur for me in my progression through life thus far was your father as um proper and correct in his vocal God, no. as no God, where do you no. think you get that from well i was learning to sing uh, is that so, is there does it translate does oh, it? it does i mean if you if you took and if there's an ent who listens to this they may contradict me but my my brief understanding uh is that if you were to take a, a sort of arthroscope of your throat and my throat as a simple comparison mm. mine's a bulgarian weightlifter Yours is not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that translates into everything I do because I have spent hours thinking about where my tongue sits in my mouth. Gotcha, yeah. You know, it becomes a habit. It's, a, it's your instrument. It is. It's an it instrument. Is. Absolutely an instrument. Amazing. So um, from there, mm. how did you get involved? Because you eventually become a political candidate after mm, your mm. tenure here at the, at the, uh, at the Conservatory of Music. Upon graduation... Where do you go from graduation? What, what was the next steps after that? Well, it kind of, as I, I said earlier, the, the, the nucleus connection for me was St. John's College. And while I was at, and, and, and it pertains directly to my becoming a candidate, because when I was at St. John's College, I found the place a bit bereft of, of what I will call thought. Um, I'm someone who believes deeply in the exploration and examination of ideas. And... 
that wasn't there. And I thought, that, you know, prime ministers have gone to this institution. Future prime ministers are probably going to this institution and, and industry leaders. They ought to, at this age, be thinking about stuff. So together with a good friend of mine, I created the St. John's College Forum. And we sought to invite guests and, and have them speak and then have a Q&A session. Mm. And with more front than Mark Foy's, I just invited people. Um, mm. You know, I had uh, Justice Margaret Beasley came, who's now the Governor of New South Wales, yeah. of course. Um, Fred, Professor Fred Watson came, the, the astronomer. Um, Miranda Devine came, you know, we, we were open to all views. Sure. Uh, and Bob Carr came. And uh, Bob and I got on very well um, and had a lot of conversations. And he became my sort of connection, in a way, into the Labor Party. Okay. I'd only vaguely become aware of the Labor Party prior to that because of my father absolutely launching at the TV when John Howard would come on, uh -huh. lecturing me about how good Paul Keating was. Okay. Uh, so we're a Keating household. Gotcha. Without yeah. question. Okay. Um, so you knew it was there. You yes. knew there was an affinity there. I knew that. Uh, and, and both my parents had been union members. And uh, so after I graduated from the con and I left St John's, I ran that campaign. Um, I also... Uh, was have the great privilege to know John Faulkner quite well, as it was, and I'd call him a friend and a, and a mentor. How did you meet John Faulkner? I was introduced to John Faulkner. I, I was invited to speak at the Balmain branch. Just, just for people to know, John Faulkner was a senator from New South yes, Wales for yes. many years. Yes. Um, need no introduction. But uh, he shouldn't, but just, for, just in case. Just in case. <laughs> if you're so outside. Apologies, Mr Faulkner, if you're listening. <laughs> and uh, so I, I was invited to speak about the Uluru statement to the Balmain Labor Party branch and then the secretary of that branch, very nice woman, mm -hmm. introduced me to John and, and it went from there. Mm -hmm. um, but, I, but I became the candidate in 2019. I went into that election in Parks, which is 49% of New South Wales. Why, why did you choose to become the candidate? I can't quite tell you. Um, I think I have somewhere in me some deep burning desire for advocacy. I consider myself reasonably, reasonably robust, uh, linguistically capable, and that I should therefore step into the breach for others who can't. Because if you stand up, you lift that ceiling a bit, others can stand up. Mm. So I think that was my main motivation. There are probably other delusions of grandeur that a psychologist could better ameliorate and, and sort of get out. Um, but, but yeah, I, I took it on. And, and it wasn't a good campaign, but I did my best. Mm -hmm. um, Senator, current Senator Deb O'Neill was a duty senator, and I had the privilege to meet her and to get to know her as part, through that process mm -hmm. and to meet many Labor Party members across Western New South Wales. And uh, it was a bruising experience, but I enjoyed it very, very much. Why was it bruising? As a young person, I mean, I was, I mean, I still am, but at that time, quite uh, juvenile in my understanding of many things. You don't fully comprehend the whole show and you don't understand where you fit. And realistically, we, it's not a bold claim to say that we will never win those seats. You know, it's very unlikely. Um, but, but as a young candidate, you don't have that perception of things and you're kind of just going through the motions with the, the commonly known candidate candidates 
disease. Rose, um, rose-coloured glasses. Rose-coloured glasses, I'm going to win this thing, all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. Yeah. And and you feel that you've let people down and all that sort of stuff when they knew all along what was going to happen. Sure. Um, and, and, and as has been a recurring theme in my life, and when I was at... It's, it's the reason I, I left the Royal Military College. I didn't have... In the, in the way that I don't have people, um, family members really, to celebrate my triumphs, I don't I don't have them in defeat either to comfort me. Right. And that's that's a very I'm becoming more aware of that fact, um, more more aware of how the early traumas, for want of a better term, mm. of my life are affecting. How I perceive things and how I cope with things. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I think it's an important thing that people should should think about and should should look at and seek to to push through to not take the the victimhood approach, as is so easy in our society. It's not an individual's fault. I think our society kind of tilts people to say, "Oh well, you know, I've had hard things happen in my life. Therefore, I should fall down and and say, woe me.'" No, you should understand it and command it. Um, that's not an easy process, but but you should do it. And and it's. I mean, I'm slightly off track now, but I I I find Christmas, for example, so utterly unbearable for the reason that it's the time when everyone retreats to their families. Mm-hmm. On a global scale, that's not a big sufferance to have, Jack, and you should stop whinging. But on an individual scale, it, it, it matters and it affects me. And mm. so I ought to understand and try and grasp it and, and better manage it. Um, so, so I think that's part of the reason that defeats can be quite bruising for me. You know, I can understand that. And, and victory is somewhat lonely. Well, you haven't experienced that yet? <laughs> well, <laughs> yet. not in an electoral sense. No, no. no. Um, do you think... I mean, we're going to get to the steps that you're taking now. Mm. But do you... Do you think, because you're blessed with this linguistic power, mm. for lack of I can't put it as eloquently. Yeah, as you yeah, put yeah. It. well, that's yeah, yeah, it's one way of describing it. But it's one way of describing it. It's the, that's it's probably the, too generous. Yeah, well, I, I, I consider you <laughs> very much capable and holding such power. Do you think it's you're duty bound to use those skills for the better good, and and politics really is the only way to swing that sword? Not necessarily. No, I mean I. I, I sat in on a rehearsal uh, on Thursday evening, I think it was, of the Sydney Conservatorium's cast for the Magic Flute, which was the last thing I sang before I left there. And uh, and sitting there, I thought, God, I'd love to be back behind the orchestra doing that. Maybe that's what I should have dedicated myself to. Uh, but then I think to myself, well, no, I'm actually doing what I'm meant to be doing, my work with the Australian Workers' Union, advocating for people. I deeply enjoy that, uh, as, as distressing as it sometimes can be. Mm. So perhaps it's politics, perhaps it's not. I mean, I have a great respect and admiration for people like George Orwell and and Christopher Hitchens, um, who, without without ever sort of compromising themselves in any way, in a sort of intellectual and and ideological sense, were able to criticise things openly and explore them and discuss them Mm. with eloquence and grace and that good Oxford manner that we lack so much in society today. Mm. But I don't know that I have the rigour to do that, necessarily. I'm more of a thespian, perhaps, and, and better suited to the political stage. Um, 
Who knows? Mm. Who knows? And I mean, one of my great idols is Lyndon Baines Johnson. I've read all the Caro books, which are substantial, on his life. And, and I think I would consider myself in some ways in his mould, you know, dirt floor in Texas to the White House. Not suggesting any grandeur, no, grandeur befalls me, yeah, but, yeah, yeah. but uh, that's, that's kind of my ethos. So I don't know if there are other things. Um, maybe there are. Who knows? Well, the steps that you're taking now, you've been convinced and are now progressing through uh, your law degree. Correct. I think you may have inspired that. It might have been that. me who gave yeah, you and, you and You and the great Mary Gortron, you know. So. Yes, yes, yes. Well, I know there were people of influence who were trying to get you to take up the mantle for years. It was finally <laughs> you, yours truly that managed to you uh, twist the your arms. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, do you see the parallels in understanding the law uh, and providing a, a good and a, a, a worthy life by utilising such skills? Yes, I look. I I think potentially in life, um, you know, I could, provided I graduate sure. with this bloody degree. It's tough. Yeah, but you'll get there. Yes. <laughs> well, we hope so. But you're um, beginning to see it. You see, you see where I think you can do good works. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think, and I think I'd be quite happy in that realm. Um, I, as I said, I was a hopeless student, and no, wasn't, I get that. wasn't particularly bright. I would suggest, but but I have now become someone because I was as well. Mm. And you, and the interesting thing, and I think this is where we perhaps go wrong. We ought to be we ought to be teaching people what what learning is and how to do it as a skill. Mm. Because I mean, in my room, as wanky as this sounds, in my home rather, I I have a room that is effectively a reading room. Mm-hmm. I have a comfortable chair. Mm-hmm. I have shelves and shelves of books, mm-hmm. and I I have become someone who reads endlessly. Mm-hmm. I just deeply deeply enjoy it. Um, and I've I've done a bit of writing. I'm not not exquisite in prose, you know, but I do enjoy writing. Mm-hmm. But I've become interested in knowledge and interested in grasping things and understanding them and and taking lines of inquiry and seeing what emerge. And and that kind of pertains to the law in many ways because it is in my low altitude view, as far as my understanding will take me, it's not as as cut and dry as people think. Mm. I think there is a a higher level concept to it, um, and and then there's, and then there's a a higher sort of um, the best way I can verbalise it is a pondering and and applying with thoughts and ideas. Yeah, and that I enjoy. That aspect I really enjoy. So, who knows? I may go into the law and stay there. Yeah, and it's funny you should say that because I had a very sort of um, fearful and an, sort of antagonistic approach to my law degree as well uh, very fearful mm. of um, of even engaging mm. and was very surprised when I was able to get results mm. from my approach mm. to my studies mm. and quickly realizing I'm probably to the benefit with older uh, with being the age that I am that mm. I took the course up in my mid 30s um, that and I'm speaking to some barrister friends that I've met along the way along my mm, journey mm. is that law is not really an academic pursuit; mm. it's a trade. Yes, and yeah. the and your 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 words are your tools. Mm. It's your toolkit, Absolutely. and you're just applying your tools to the problem to fix it. Yeah, yeah. And taking that real blue collar approach has really helped me mm. to be okay. This isn't some academic read along. This is real world, real life problems. People need help. 
you need to take that toolkit out and you need to fix their yeah, car. Yeah, yeah, and the application of language to those problems, I think, is, is true. I also think that the application of language can be a barrier. Well, the language is deeply limited. Um, there are so many things. There's, I'm very lucky, through a good friend of mine who's a barrister, I'm very lucky to know Ian McGilchrist, who is a fellow of All Souls College in Oxford, and he is a man of supreme intellect, who's, mm. who's just written a fantastic book. Um, the second of, of his books, um, which is called The Matter With Things, and it's worth reading. Mm-hmm. It's big, it's hard, I'm only part way through. Mm. But but I, I've had the pleasure of meeting him, and he talks about these concepts to do with the divided brain and so on. Mm. But what he articulates well is that there are many things in life that if put into language are wrecked. Mm. You cannot, for example, adequately describe the feeling that I felt sitting on the floor when I first heard Jose Carreras in such a way that it, it translates that feeling to someone else. It just, language wrecks it. Um, and, and, and so, you know, it is deeply limited in, in a sense. And I guess the lawyer's role is somehow to make it fit, mm, <laughs> I suppose. Mm, but, mm, but and, 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 you know, you touched on something else, which I think for me was huge. After I finished legal institutions, the first subject, mm-hmm. or sort of partway through towards the end, I was so distraught and I remember why why just I felt inadequate to it okay and I I remember I remember I rang our mutual friend Stephen Lawrence and Mm. I was crying and just I was absolutely weighed down by this sense of of overwhelming imposter syndrome Oh, yeah. This is not, I can't do this, I'm too stupid. Oh, my God, yes. You know, and then you get through it. And you realise, yeah, you, you, you can bang do. on. Yeah. And your tolerances, and this is something, I mean, I'm learning over time, but your tolerances change, your tolerances, and you have to come back to that and realise, well, I got past that, I'll do this. And I've got a really busy six months coming, but I got past that and I'll do this. You yeah. Know? And it's the same thing in my brief time at the Royal Military College. I've never been so tired. Mm-hmm. But my tolerance for being tired and, and, and being effective while tired is greater. You know, So it's good. How come you joined the army? I think I have some deep interest, and it's probably why I'm drawn to politics and the advocacy, to, uh, to support people, to serve people. And the army seemed a, a good choice to do that. I also wanted to get fit. I was exceedingly fat. Um, I think I was nearly 150 kilos at my heaviest, which I am no longer. No, yeah, I mean, I couldn't even recognise you no. after between the time I met you and then mm. post-army career. I mm, couldn't. Mm. And it was only part of the transition. My my good friend, uh, Kev Connor, he, he got me eating in a very different way, mm-hmm. which, you know, getting rid of all the seed oils, getting rid of the carbohydrates and and that and I'm not always strict, but I try to be as best I can. And I lost a huge amount of weight. Mm. I, I only now I do a lot of weightlifting mm. um, and try to stay as strong as I can. But I, I mean, I'm sort of now 100 kilos, but there's a lot more, <laughs> a lot more of that's muscle mass than yes, than of was. course. Yeah. How often are you in the gym? Six days. I go six days, wow. um, and then I normally on the seventh day I'll walk or I'll run or something. Right. So six I, days I of weights. Go. Yeah, I try to, and I do a bit of crossfitty things, you know, some Olympic lifting and stuff. Yeah. I'm not technically proficient, but it's really good for your head. Right. Really, really clears your head and gets some emotion out and so yeah. on. Yeah. But, but I went off to the Royal Military College uh, with all intention to, to be an officer. Mm. 
in the Australian Army and to make a bit of a career out of that. Mm. And it, it's actually only recently that I've realised why I left. Um, I and, and it seems odd that, that I didn't understand at the time, but I didn't really understand at the time. I just remember not fitting and not feeling like I should be there. And the simple fact is this, that the Defence Force, rightly so, deconstruct who you are and rebuild you in their mould. That's what they have to do. And the problem for me, I think, was that outside of that world, that kind of pressure pot of, of reformation, we'll say, I had no one really, as in a close family sense, to reinform who I was. And, and myself, to use that term, my, my being, was in many ways, my understanding of it was already deficient because I didn't have the input of two parents, you know. And, and it may seem silly, but, you know, when I'm at gatherings with other people and a parent says to a child, oh, you know, do you remember when you were six and you did that thing? Those conversations are important. They're fundamentally important. They inform who you are. And so for me, it was as though... I was trying to sort the filing cabinets of my life and order things where they should be. And I'd only just started to sort of succeed at that. And then the army came along and as they do, pulled out all the cabinets, drawers and tipped them upside down. There was stuff everywhere and I couldn't cope with that. And I think if I went back in now, I may have better success, I may not. I do deeply, deeply regret having ever left. Um, you do? I do, I do, I do. Because there are so many elements about it that I loved. But but I've only just recently distilled that that was that was the reason that I was losing, I was losing who I was, and I wasn't confident I'd get it back because I didn't have anyone to tell me, or inform me of who I once was, mm. and I also kind of hadn't figured out who I was anyway. So mm. it's yeah, and 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 I think a big part of that was, you know, which is probably a sort of secret to some people, certainly not to me. A big part of that was my being gay. I think that also, I hadn't fully arrested that dilemma in my mind. And I still haven't, but but definitely not at that point. And so I think all of that, that kind of insecurity and, and lack of understanding of oneself was a problem, you know. Do you think you'll ever get back? Potentially in a reserve capacity, I think so. I think so. I think it's a good thing. I think... Uh, all young people ought to be thinking about doing it, um, even if, even in a reserves capacity, just to just to get some of that resilience and discipline and, and sort of regimentation of life and and holding yourself. And the, and the thing that I learned there most, and I wasn't there very long. I mean, I was at the briefest of times, but you get an internal voice that keeps you accountable, honestly, mm. honestly, and that is an invaluable skill. To have that, and you, I don't know how they inculcate that, but they do, and and to have that now, I mean, I still have it because it stays with you. This little internal voice that that keeps you honest, so powerful, because you catch yourself doing dumb shit. Mm -hmm. Why are you doing that? Mm. Why are you saying that? Mm. What's the point of that? You know, mm. why are you not getting up early? Whatever, mm. it's really powerful. So, in a reserve capacity, I'll go back. So, Jack, in a nutshell, I mean, such a an amazing complex traumatic introduction mm. to life that you've had at such a mm. young age that i can't even dream to step mm. into your shoes 
as a friend of yours, mm. it's easy for me to say, I feel like you are a happy person and you're living a happy life right now. Mm. But how does, how does right now feel for you? I mean, like you're, 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 got a, you're working with a great union, the Australian mm, Workers' mm, Union. Mm. Whom I love deeply. You love the union. You work, you're studying mm. a fantastic course, which is very accessible and, and something that I, that I reckon everyone should do. Yes, do it. It's a fantastic course. Do the LPAB. The, the LPAB. <laughs> I feel like you're on, because like, I, I have big dreams for you, <laughs> and I Good feel like you. you're on the path. Yeah. Do you feel like you're on the path? Yes, I do. Um I certainly do. And I, 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 I think I know what that path is. And I think others close to me know what that path is. And I do think I'm walking it. Doesn't mean it's not a lonely path at times, but I kind of have the view that if you want to achieve anything in life that's substantial, you've got to make some sacrifices. And, you know, I don't go out and get drunk. I don't really have the opportunity to do that. I don't have a particularly full social calendar. I'm either working or reading or writing or going to the gym. And that's it. Um, and I think I need to do that for a bit longer. And I, and I need to, in, in, the, in the private time I have, sort of try to understand some questions. Uh, and, and that occasionally gets lonely. I won't deny that. I won't deny that. And I will say to anyone who may listen to this that do as best you can to to mend the relationships you have with family if they're broken. Um, and if you have family whom you love, make sure you let them know. I can't stress that enough because it is kind of the most unique thing you'll get in the world. Um, and, and I'm not saying I'm supremely depressed or so on, but, but that element of my life is not there. And I'm conscious of that always, uh, but I'm I'm happy, I'm content, and I'm working. I'm working without sounding sort of arrogant in any sense, which I often get accused of. Um, I'm 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 working on myself, for want of a better yeah. term. And I don't mean that in the new lefty way, because that's not my sort of tent. I'm not yeah. in it, but I am working on myself in a diligent way and and trying to look. I, I can summarise it in this way: I have a have a sort of line above my desk at home which says if I sharpen my sword today I'll be ready for the battles of tomorrow and that's pretty much me you know? that's great that's great yeah. just last question last question yes. I mean that was a good place to leave it but do you think you will have a family I don't know and it's it's potentially a, a conversation for another time yep. um, do you see that in, in your future well it's hard because I feel that, and, and people will not appreciate this comment, I don't think. I think they'll find it sort of aggravating. Some people will. But I don't know that in my position, being a gay man who kind of isn't in any way aligned with the current societal sort of view on those things in the culture. I mean, I don't consider myself part of the acronym because I don't think you need it. That's another conversation. But having a family is a different thing, you know. Um, it means something else and it's structured. And I do think that that, I really, really do think that has an impact on on, on the dynamic somehow. 
And so I'm wrestling with those things internally, you know, and others will have contrary views that are very legitimate and I don't claim to have all knowledge. That's just my intuition. And so I'm wrestling with those things. But I would, of course, I would love the opportunity to impart even some of the lessons that my father gave me and some of the lessons I've learned to someone else and to, and to, and to sort of usher them through life. Um, but having said that, I don't know that I particularly like children. So <laughs> it's kind of... It's <laughs> so young, Jack. So young. Hey, uh, well, let's leave it at that. And I just yes. want to thank you so much. What an amazing uh, story that you we finally had a chance to talk about. Yeah, well, thank you for sharing. Thank, thank you for letting thank, me share it. Oh, mate, thank you for sharing it. I'm wishing you all the best because I know you. There's a bright. Uh, there's some bright projects ahead that you're involved with. I'm looking forward to reading them, hearing them, seeing them. Congratulations to you on everything, Jack. A, you appreciate your time. Thank you, Jim.